So this morning, uh, we will be going through our uh, next part of our sermon series uh, over the story. Uh, we're, we're coming to the end, so we've, we started all the way in Genesis, and we've moved all the way through, so Old Testament, uh, into the prophets, into the, you know, uh, the poetic books, then into uh, the New Testament, Jesus' ministry, the ministry of the apostles. Uh, last week we looked in Revelation, and this week we're going to be in Romans. We're going to be looking in Romans chapter 8, uh, verses 18 through 25. And this is really about, okay, so we know all of this. We know all we've talked about. So what's next? Okay, what's next? So if you would, uh, turn in your Bibles with me, and we'll, we'll go ahead and read our uh, text for the sermon this morning, and then we'll dive in. Romans 8, verses 18, it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope... We were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Father God, thank you again for today. Uh, thank you for this word. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So today is Father's Day. If you didn't know that, I'm sorry. Uh, your dad's probably like, why didn't he called? Or, you know, texted at least. Come on. But, uh, no, seriously, today's Father's Day. I hope that you guys have an excellent day playing with your dads. Uh, if your dad is, is still around, that, that, that's awesome. If your dad's not around, today is a day to remember that time you had with him while he was here. Uh, but if he is still here and you guys have plans with your dad, which I'm sure you probably do, uh, maybe you'll go out to eat, right? Uh, that's that's what we like to do as Baptists. We like to go out to eat. Uh, you know, maybe you have dinner planned at home. Uh, perhaps if uh, your dad's like my dad, uh, you go fishing, right? Fishing's always a good time with your son or daughter, you know. Um, or maybe, you know, spend some time outdoors hiking. Uh, or maybe you will, you will start a project together. So... Projects were always a, a fun part of my childhood. And when I say fun, uh, not really, right? So when you're a kid, projects are never, never fun, but you, you do them. So, you know, I, had a, a, I have a dad, and then I have a stepdad. So my, my projects with my, my dad were always kind of fun. You know, we had the Cub Scout uh, race car build and all that stuff. So I didn't live with him, so all the projects that we did together were really fun, right? Now, my stepdad... On the other hand, those projects were a little different, okay? So these were, you know, I would be refinishing hardwood floors. Woo! Super, right? Or uh, working on an old car that didn't run. Or 
check this out. We actually built a log splitter. This was a weekend project. Built a log splitter from scratch using an old motorcycle engine, okay, and a hydraulic pump he found in a junkyard, and then a piece of I-beam. So we made this, but we built the log splitter because I was complaining about, well, splitting wood, right? So he's like, well, okay, then we'll have another project. If you don't want to split the wood, we'll, we'll make you uh, build a log splitter from scratch. Learned a lot through it, you know, but uh, it was never super fun for me as a kid. And every time one of these, these uh, projects would get started, I, I would think to myself, you know, this just isn't worth it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing all these tasks. It's just not worth it. Now, looking back on these as an adult who's now an engineer, yeah, it was probably worth it. Those, those were good. Work ethic's a good thing to teach your kids, you know, uh, learning all these, these mechanical things, how to, how to work on your own home. They're great. But as a child, I, I didn't realize that. I was like, this isn't worth it. I'd rather be skateboarding or playing my friends or doing anything after school than what I'm doing right now, right? So this is just not worth it. Maybe you've said that uh, when you guys have worked on projects, right? Maybe uh, the goal was good and exciting when it popped in your head. You're like, I can do that. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to get it done. Uh, you know, maybe it's uh, you found an old car in a junkyard and you want to restore it. That, I mean, that would get me excited, right, until you get into it and you're like, oh, the block's toast and then we have to replace the whole thing. Uh, or, you know, you may be thinking, you know what, I can build that outbuilding way cheaper than I can buy one. So let's get into that and do that. That'll be fun, right? Or even, you know, maybe your project is, is patching up a relationship with, with someone that, that has gone bad, right? Uh, your relationship's gone sour and you want to patch it up. In any case, the goal for your project initially is good, right? It's something that you wanted to happen, but perhaps when you start digging into the work and get, get deeper and deeper into it, it appeared that it, it was going to be a huge investment and a little more than what you thought, and then you think to yourself, man, this may not be worth it. So looking in this text, bringing this back to what we're talking about today, Paul, throughout Romans, and Romans chapter 8 in particular, is addressing that uh, very thought amongst the Roman Christians. So they were not discouraged because the old car they were working on was turning out to be far more work and far more expensive than what they thought it was going to be. Well, they didn't have cars. Maybe they're, you know, donkey cart, whatever. But, you know, it's not that type of project we're talking about. Instead, they were beginning to feel troubled about their faith. They're, they're beginning to feel troubled about following Christ. Uh, those who were Jewish converts to Christianity were feeling the pain and isolation of being cut off from the rest of their family, uh, the Jewish families that didn't convert. The Jewish converts would have been looked down on and, and cast by the side of their families that didn't accept Christ. Uh, the Gentile Christians were also facing mockery. So Gentiles, not Jewish, right? So Greeks, Romans, uh, people from other parts of the world that have, have accepted Christ were also facing mockery for their faith that was making their lives more difficult. They even had this ridiculous rumor that got started uh, back in the early uh, Christian times of the early Christian church where the people that didn't follow Christ were calling them a renegade sect of Judaism that was practicing cannibalism. That's a real rumor. And I, I, can, I bet you guys can guess where that rumor came from. It was from what we just did this morning 
partaking communion, they were like, they are eating a guy's body and drinking his blood every Sunday <laughs> or every time they meet. So it's, it's a rumor, but it, it was causing them to be looked down upon. They were outcast and they were unwelcome amongst the people. So to them, they were thinking, man, is this worth it? All the while, there's mounting pressure from a public government um, that, that's backed and, and, and they, they run persecution on Christians unlike anything that we're familiar with in this country. Christians were being to be, beginning to be tortured and killed in horrific ways. I mean, they were stoned, they were crucified, they were eaten by lions. It was, it's, it's terrible. But all this because of their faith. All because the Roman government deemed the religion to be illegal. So reading through Romans, you can feel this balloon, this pressure building up, and it's almost ready to explode. As, as trials and struggles seem to multiply and compound on themselves, and the sole cause of it is because the people were Christians. They were Christ followers. So they started to question their faith, questioning whether it was all really worth it. Now, Paul wrote Romans, and in this letter to the Roman Christians, uh, you know, he says, of course, of course it's worth it. In fact, it's more than worth it. And in our passage today, he tells us why. In verse 18, it says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So, the word Paul uses there means that you're trying to compare things of values that can't be compared. So two things that you're comparing two things that really can't be compared. We always say, well, that's apples and oranges, right? You can't compare an orange to an apple. Now, can you judge the difference in the value between a handful of dirt and a handful of diamonds? Yes, you can, right? Dirt is dirt. Diamonds are diamonds. They're not, you can't, you can't really compare those two. Can you compare the value of a doorknob versus the mansion the doorknob is installed in, right? Doorknob, like five bucks at Lowe's. Mansion, lots of money, right? Not really a comparison there. There's no hemming and hawing over which one you would rather have. Dirt, diamonds, dirt, diamonds, I don't know, dirt. Yeah, there's no hemming and hawing, right? But it's easy to lose track of that. It really is. It's really easy to lose track of that. It's very easy to become distracted and think that this life is the be-all and end-all of everything there is, right? You get distracted at work, you get distracted at school, distracted with family, and all of a sudden that's all you know. You're thinking about your problems, what you got to do next, everything that we have to do. And you know what? That's a, that's a wretched state to be in, to, to think that, that this world is all that we have. Because for as much as we might try to pretend otherwise, this life is... is it's pretty rough, right? It's pretty hard. We have pain and misery. Uh, families are at each other's throats. Sickness and disease ravage our bodies. And we are often miserable. Why? Because this world has been sentenced to decay. It is, it is going away. When God created it, it was perfect. When he created the world and everything in it, he said it was very good. Everything was good. Uh... But in our sin, I tell you what, we ruined it. Uh, sin 
sin's very presence in this life causes a decay that even affects creation itself. In verse 19, it says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. In verse 20, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. But more to the point, the sins that you and I commit against each other bring suffering and disaster in our lives. Sin piles up on sin. People's anger piles up against themselves and each other. The world has lost its mind because of me and you and everyone else are so focused on ourselves and what we want, we don't see how we're hurting and destroying each other. Our sinful nature has a me-above-all-else attitude that doesn't care who or what it steps on. So really, if that is your context for this life, if that is all there is, we should be without hope. We should be. But there's good news, and it's the gospel, right? God has given hope to us. But we need to focus on this word hope, right? So there's, there's two kinds of ways to use hope. Um, you could say, I hope the Titans win more games than they lose this year. You could say that. Not probable. You're probably going to be disappointed, but you can hope, right? Uh, you know, you can also say, if you're a student, I hope I get a good grade on that test that I didn't study for, you know, or I hope tomorrow will be better than yesterday. There's no confidence in any of those statements. It's an empty hope. You're just saying, I, I hope this happens, but there's no real confidence that it will. It's waiting for something that's, you know, that, that may or may not happen. Now, but when God says, or when God gives hope, it is a, a different kind of hope. It's a certain hope. It's waiting for something that's absolutely coming, so something that we have confidence in, so you have hope in something that you know is going to happen. So we're not playing uh, the game show Let's Make a Deal, right? So I'm sure all of you guys have seen that, either the old one or the new one. Let's Make a Deal, right? I'm sure you know, you've seen it. It was on TV years ago, made a comeback over the last few years, and one of the basic premises of that show is that the contestant is given a prize of some sort, usually money or a small prize, but then they are given the opportunity to hand the prize over in exchange for what's behind curtain number one or curtain number three, all right? So they're, they're, they're given the opportunity to exchange it. Sometimes behind the curtain, uh, you know, it was worth trading for. It could be a, a huge vacation package. They may have $200 in their hand, open door number one. Woohoo! I'm going to the Bahamas, right? That, that was worth trading for. But there's also, and this is the trick of the game show, the possibility of getting zonked. And what is a zonk? Well, it could be a toilet paper roll, could be some aluminum foil, could be a broken down old car and a big sign that says zonk. So really, you gave up the prize for nothing. But unlike the game show, there's no doubt in, in our minds as to what is coming. Paul says we're standing in this life with that handful of dirt, and by God's grace, we're going to be able to trade it in for a bucket of diamonds. It's amazing. A new, a better life is coming, but it's not going to come here. And what I mean by that is it's, it's not coming on the earth as we know it. 
Contrary to our politicians ranting on TV, we're not going to be able to make people and nations stop fighting with each other. It's not going to happen in this time. We're not going to be able to solve every problem that comes up in our lives and in the lives of others. And we're not going to be able to put an end to sin on this earth. But we don't have to because God already has. It's the already but not yet Even though we ruined everything through sin, God fixed it all when Jesus came. When Jesus came, he took the punishment for every sin that we, we committed as, as Christians. He took the pain and the misery and the guilt for everything wrong you have ever done, and he took it on himself. He was the propitiation for that, that sin. He took it on himself. Every time we've wallowed in self-pity because life is tough, every time in hurtful words and actions we made someone else's life more miserable, everything we've ever done wrong, every painful thing that made us estranged from God, Jesus took it all away. And that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. So if you're a Christian this morning, I, I want to I encourage you that, that Christ has restored us to a rightful position as children of God. Every time that we've hurt someone, God has forgiven you. Every time that, that someone else hurt us, God has forgiven them. God has fixed the sin problem and enabled us to treat each other not as problems, but as fellow heirs to eternity. He has enabled us to put an end to family squabbling when we see each other in the light of the cross. He has enabled us to bear up under the pain of disease or heartache because we know something better is coming. He has enabled us to forgive as we've been forgiven. Jesus has given us real certain hope. Now, Paul goes on and he describes the torment creation is undergoing. He says, as the pains of childbirth, right? So he, he, the, the, the creation is undergoing pain. Verse 22, it says, For we know the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Now, as you can probably guess, I've never experienced childbirth. Just looking at me, you know, no guy, it's impossible. But, you know, and I'm, I'm hesitant to draw too many comparisons uh, here with the pain of childbirth because I've never experienced it. But as a father, I've witnessed it. Childbirth is a beautiful miracle. It really is. It's one of the greatest things as, as, a, as a guy you can see and, and experience with your wife. But, as my wife can attest, it is accompanied by an extraordinary level of discomfort and pain. And the discomfort and pain doesn't start in the delivery room. It st starts like five months before that, <laughs> right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm saying, yeah, I couldn't do it, but I'm glad, I'm glad she could uh, the point of Paul's comparison really, though, is not the severity of the pain. Even though the pain is, is severe and it's, it's long-suffering, he's, he's not comparing the level of pain here. The point of the comparison is the end result. So if you break your arm or your leg, what purpose is that? What does that do? It's pain with no purpose. Passing a kidney stone, that's pain with no purpose. But childbirth is different. It's very, very different. Childbirth is pain with a purpose. 
Childbirth is pain with a purpose because something amazing is coming, a new life, a new member of your family. The most wonderful gift a person can be given comes through this pain. For a Christian, the pain of this life is pain with a purpose. The end is in sight, and we suffer here. We won't suffer in heaven. That the suffering is over. While we deal with our own sin and the effects that it has on us and those around us here, we won't in heaven. Heaven will be the place of an unending joy and happiness. So, like I'm saying, we, we have dirt here, but we have the promise of diamonds later. But you may be asking yourself, well, how do we know this is true? You talked about being, there being two types of hope. Well, how do we have hope that this is true. So how do we know the hope of heaven isn't an empty or fleeting as my hope that the Titans might win more games than it loses this year? Uh, God has given us a deposit, a down payment of what's to come, and that's how we know. He's given us the first fruits of the Spirit. In verse 23, it says, And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. The Holy Spirit is the down payment, or as Paul says, the first fruits of what is coming. The Holy Spirit is the only reason that we can believe in Jesus as our Savior. It's the only reason. We are not doing it under our own power. We're doing it through the power of of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. He is the only reason that we can begin to trust the promises that God has made to us. He works through his word to show us what God has said and done. And Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew in the parable of the sower, that word, when it is planted in our hearts like a seed, it produces a harvest of faith, right? So you have this hope. Uh, think of it as a seed. It is sown in your heart by the Holy Spirit, and it grows into faith. And then that faith produces fruit. The Holy Spirit uses that word to cling, uh, word to, cling to his promises and tighten our grasp on them. For the Old Testament believers, they clung to the hope that God would send a Savior, and they would be forgiven. And for them, that hope was certain. For us, living after Jesus' work, we cling to the hope that what Jesus accomplished is for us. Paul says, and, and going on toward the end of the chapter, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Do you notice the tension here, right? We're eagerly awaiting all that God has promised us, but we wait for it patiently. So we're eager, but we're patient, right? We're not impatient. Uh, perhaps one of the real problems that we wrestle with is impatience. I know I do. I'm, I'm impatient. I, I have a commute from Castalian Springs to Franklin, Tennessee, Monday through Friday. So I drive down 65. If you ever want to pray for patience, 
that's that's where it is right there that's where you'll he'll teach you you know two hours in traffic will do that to anybody so we all wrestle with impatience maybe we're so eager to be done with the traffic the pain the the anger the sin-filled world that we wish God would just take us out of it take us home maybe our, our prayers take a turn from asking God to help us endure to helping it all end there is there is no shame in being excited for heaven. I'm 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 <laughs> amazingly excited. Uh, are there people you know? Uh, uh, Paul himself says we 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 should be eagerly waiting on, uh, waiting on it. But we also recognize that while we're here right now, no matter what our present sufferings are, we are here for a reason. We're here for a purpose. You know what? Uh, it, on that drive, I'm driving to a place of work, right? And I have coworkers. I have coworkers that hear, need to hear God's word. I do. I bet you you do too. So, I say we be the sower and share it, just like the sower, uh, the the parable of the sower. Be the sower. Be the one to, to spread those seeds. Are there people in your family who are suffering and heartbroken? Take their needs to to God in prayer. Are there things you don't yet know or understand about God's word? I know there are for me. So what do you do about it? You dig into his word. You do it more and more every day to uncover those gems of his love for you. You know, we are waiting, hoping for the fulfillment of what God had promised. You know, we're waiting for the fulfillment of what Jesus won for us at the cross. Our adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies. We're all men and women, boys and girls, waiting to become sons. So sons here, it's not saying that you're going to have gender replacement. What it's saying is in the Old, in, in the old Testament, if you look at uh, who received the inheritance, it was the firstborn son of the family. If you were a daughter or you were a middle child, a son, you didn't get the full inheritance. You got a partial inheritance or... Your family received money from the other people's family when your daughter was married off. You had a dowry system and all this other stuff. Maybe, uh, here, you can, you can take my daughter, I'll give you a few sheep, and you take care of her, right? I know, it's weird, right? <laughs> but they didn't have uh, the, the same thing we have today. So when, when, you're, when the, the, you see the scripture saying adoption as sons, what it's really saying is, you will receive the full inheritance of God. You're going to receive the full inheritance as Christ receives the full inheritance. It's, it's, a, it's amazing. That means we are, we are completely free of this sin, shame, and guilt uh, that, that, that we were born into in this world. You know, we may feel the groaning, the tension, the pain, but know that forgiveness, peace, joy, and hope are available through Christ's sacrifice. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, keep us strong in the face of adversity, patient in times of trial. But Lord, quicken that day when we no longer hope for what is to come, but are able to fully enjoy the things you have prepared for us. Help us also to be brave in this world and to let others know of the amazing truth that is the gospel that even though it may seem that it's, it's not worth it at times, 
that you have a plan and that you have already won through your son, Jesus. Father God, we thank you for that. And it's in his precious name I pray. Amen.